the way that some writers or directors describe how they live and how much they hate doing their work is like Jesus mate like nobody's forcing you Welcome to The Recommendation Game. This is a bi-weekly film podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the other has not seen. We watch them separately and then Skype to discuss them. My name is Orla McNeilis. I am joined by... Ricardo Deacon. Ricardo Deacon. Just like this movie. This week's movie... Oh, you're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. This week's movie is Monsieur Hulot's Holiday from 1953. <laughs> Monsieur Hello, Jack Dee's endearing clown, takes a holiday at a seaside resort, where his presence provokes one catastrophe after another. Titi's masterpiece of gentle slapstick is a series of effortlessly well choreographed sight gags involving dogs, boats, and firecrackers. It was the first entry in the Hulot series and the film that launched its maker to international stardom. Yeah, so, Ricardo, we're finally back at another Jack Titi movie. Um. <laughs> It was like the end of 2018 or something that we did playtime. So uh, why did you pick this movie? Have we ever done a movie that not only you, not only with the same director or, or actors, but that the same character is in the movie? I would assume not. Because like this is technically like playtime. Uh, even though Hulo is in it, I think it is not necessarily a sequel to this because Hulo. Uh, is used by Tati the same way the chaplain used the the Trump trope, let's say, that he... I reckon that even though the character is the same in every movie, it doesn't necessarily mean that every movie happened in the same universe, let's say. Yeah. And I think that uh, allows him to, to completely uh, focus on different things that he's interested in commenting upon. And I think that it is much like Playtime that, uh, that he uses sound and it has great sound design, this movie, especially for the era. Mm. But it also works tremendously well as a silent movie. It's a movie that doesn't really require any any subtitles if you don't speak French. You'd still understand what's going on because everything is uh, done through mise-en-scene performance and... Uh, uh, body acting and stuff and i think that it does also uh very well in its pacing i think because for a movie that where so little happens it it feels like always something is happening even though it's like very pleasant you know like uh, there's no uh, it's the best depiction of a holiday that i've ever seen in a movie that it really makes you feel like the, the idea of the repetition of your days when you're staying in the same place like you know the you're on holidays you're trapped with the same people every night especially if you're in a small town like like this that it, <laughs> it becomes its own little yeah, community for the resort. duration of that of that break and also is the the weirdness of being the majority of the people in the place but not being local so that you take over the yeah the place and in a way create the culture of the place but as soon as you leave the culture changes because then it's a different group of people that will bring a different vibe a different feel etc because dynamics in groups really matter in, in the in this kind of scenario and i think that this movie is very good at portraying like so many different types of people but in that kind of the in a way it's pastiche and dealing with stereotypes but at the same time it is very precise when it when it's looking at things like the it's not just the guy that works in stocks saying sell 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 it's like a little bit more precise you know even the way that he the guy's <laughs> kids behave the way that his wife his relationship with his wife the way he dresses 
and that goes across the board that it is one of the most well-observed movies I've ever seen because every little detail is thought about and like even the callbacks are so unique like very precise like whenever he's uh, trying to put out the the fireworks that he starts by accident he starts doing the movement that he learned by uh, <laughs> with the tennis racket and it's just so fun. I think that it's a movie that is incredibly funny and pleasant. And we've done like so many dark and depressing movies lately. I thought that it would be a nice change of pace. And I think it is the most summary, one of the most summary movies ever as well. The, it, it really captures the kind of laziness kind of of a Saturday afternoon in summer. You know, when you're it's warm and you just want to like, sit somewhere and read a book or something it feels that kind of like it brings that feeling but in a kind of a in a kind of a seaside way yeah you know where it doesn't feel too hot you know what i mean it just feels kind of like pleasant you can kind of feel a breeze but it's just hot enough that you don't want to do anything <laughs> yeah and it it gives you that like i don't know how if i'd be able to watch this movie in winter because i'd just be like depressed that yeah. the, the weather is not how it, it's supposed to be and i immediately watched it after watching this movie wanted to just book a holiday somewhere as well <laughs> like it, it really and i i like the uh, the google um the Google synopsis of the movie is very short, but it's very apt as well. It's uh, Monsieur Hulot travels to a beachside hotel for a vacation where he accidentally, but good naturedly, causes <laughs> havoc. Like he's so pleasant, Hulot as a character, and so well meaning. And I think that like it'd be, it, this is a nice companion piece to Playtime because even though he uses uh, some of the same story tropes and stuff like you can see already the the way how well observed the parts in the in the restaurant are in, in the hotel that he just completely expands and uh, makes it even bigger in playtime but uh even how he like the little side gags and everything i think it's one of those movies that are there's not that many proper laugh out loud moments but you're always chuckling and going like oh that is so clever and so smart and there's very i love movies like this as well that at times you wonder how they film stuff like how the the yeah, bucket whenever he's trying to paint the the boat and the it gets picked up by the sea and the waves bring it back and the timing is so perfect how like, many times did you have to do that, like, to get that right? It blows my mind. Yeah, I never thought that a car could be so funny. Like, it, uh, <laughs> without being, like, so co like completely over the top, it's not a clown car. You can imagine somebody having that car, but it is proper hilarious. And even, like, it's so warm-hearted and uh, pleasant and humanistic as well. That is a lot of... It's, above all, a movie about, like, human connections and how you can be an absolute uh, disaster of a person and still make like really nice connections with people that in the end of the movie whenever everybody's leaving that there's a few people that won't say goodbye to hello because he's such a disaster but then there's the the british lady that is clearly like a french woman that only speaks three words in english it's hilarious it's like very good uh, see ya see you bye see you next year and uh, yeah, like I thought that you you enjoyed the movie and uh, we'd be able to talk about a bit about like uh, in comparison to Playtime, how he evolved his art in a way that he never abandoned the the actual filmmaking style, but he was able to add so much different things to the puzzle. But uh, even though Playtime, I think, is a better movie, I think that I like this movie more because it makes me feel so happy when I watch it. It's one of those movies that make me feel like almost childlike in, in, in its enjoyment. You know, like I, I, I beam and smile while I watch it. And it's so beautiful. Like the like one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is whenever it just takes a break from everything just to show a kid getting like ice cream and giving it to his brother and it's like the cutest kid ever and the music is so beautiful in the background just the 
tipping along and stuff. But I think that, like like any great Chaplin movie or um, or Buster Keaton movie, it is the construction of the jokes and the callbacks and the idea of visual comedy that it is like sadly missing in modern cinema. Like visual comedy doesn't really exist anymore, and it's like yeah, slapstick has uh, kind of like a bad connotation the word slapstick whenever uh, you you see a comedy movie and it's like oh it's a bit slapstick but it is the one of those things that if done poorly it's so bad but when you yeah. it's well thought out and not just done for a joke is that everything is kind of commenting on something or uh, portraying character or there's a purpose to the joke rather than we need a joke in this moment because a lot of comedies that don't age well i think are the ones that don't have anything to say because once you know that the joke is there what the joke is very hard to laugh a second time but i think this movie has so much not only depth when it comes to what it's saying even about politics and stuff that it's like very nuanced uh, and subtle about most of what the movie is actually trying to say but it also has uh, a density to its visuals that you lose a few jokes whenever you're and it's there's so many moments that you kind of forget how many funny moments there are like in this movie the the, the whole bits with the horse and the car Whenever the the horse kicks the back of the car and locks your mind <laughs> in the in the backseat boot or whatever it is of his Citroen, I don't know what the interior geography of that car is. Because <laughs> I said like uh, cars used to have somehow car designers had this idea that you just open like a boot at the back of the car and your back seat is there, so you'd have like the Sounds... door of the car behind you. Sounds so whenever safe. it gets kicked, oh no, like you'd probably be fucking decapitated <laughs> if you get in the car crash. But I suppose that was like most things, you know. <laughs> just death around every corner. Is it, it the was weird the thing 50s. about like even like little design things that we take for granted nowadays? Watching a movie like this and is how restaurants had to serve food back then or how badly designed tents used to be so it's like <laughs> you know because it was just like four sticks and fabric and you you deal with it kind of thing then nowadays it's just like oh here's the instructions and you just go like this and it pops out and then you you know like there's so many things yeah, to do before we had plastic and nylon but i think that the the scene because you have hulo the um that is kind of courting this girl, but everybody's also courting the girl, but also everybody kind of keeps the boundaries uh, towards her in the movie. They're just like admire her, but they're not like really pestering her. And I think that that's a uh, really... Except that one creepy guy. Yeah, except for him. But I think that... The... But Hulo took care of him, so... But I do think as well that the moment whenever Hulo is dancing with her and he doesn't know where to put his hand because he doesn't want to touch her skin without like permission it's like perfect to what the character is you know the it creates this kind of like really touching moment in a way because well for lack of a better word that like <laughs> he just puts like two fingers in the in the neck part of the dress because it's the only bit that is not dodgy to put his hands in <laughs> but then immediately like just forgets about it and just has fun you know with it it's like this kind of that he has consideration for others like even his misunderstanding of things that there's like a guy who's like a peeping tom and he kicks him is <laughs> the guy taking the a photograph of his family that <laughs> he tries to do good he's just terrible and i do love how like the little annoyances that people have for, about him and they just expect that it's him like when they the radio starts playing really loudly Monster and it's the kid hello. that is playing it <laughs> instead of him and they immediately like storm the room thinking the hulo is gonna be there like he's somewhere else starting the the fire but <laughs> i think it's a very charming movie as well but uh, without further ado what did you think of monsieur hulo's uh holiday um 
So <laughs> just briefly talk about uh, playtime. Uh, so I, w- I went back and re-listened to, uh, it was episode uh, 113. Um, it's a hilarious episode. I would highly recommend going back and listening to, uh, listening to it. Because uh, So <laughs> I think you had intended and had said at the end of the episode before that you were going to pick uh, 1984's Top Secret. Um, and then like the day before we were supposed to record changed your mind. So I had to watch playtime at the very last minute. Um, so the top of that episode is just you describing what top secret is for ages. Um, but yeah, you said something kind of interesting about why you actually had changed your mind at the last minute. Um, and you'd gone and watched it and then realized that it was the kind of movie where you really needed to be in the right headspace to watch. Um, or, or also that you probably needed to be with another person. Like it was a kind of a like very particular type of comedy that you sort of need that camaraderie or whatever. Um, and now I'm wondering if that's why I had an issue with this movie. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to be very, very clear. I did not hate this movie. I don't know if I even disliked this film, but there are things that annoyed me. <laughs> And I think the more I thought about Playtime and how I really love that film and how it's the same character, but he uses the character differently. So in the Playtime episode, you described uh, Hulo. I think possibly either this was you or you were quoting Roger Ebert. I can't remember now. Um, you describe him as how he's almost like an accidental main character in that film because like, so much of that movie is like, all these people being kind of like a cog in one machine all the time. Um, like it's a different tone than it is in this film. Like there's a little bit of that as well because so much of this is like, you know, little coincidences happening that cause other things to happen and, and so on and so forth. But um, I think it's the fact that in that film, Hulot is more reacting to the world around him rather he rather than being the catalyst for everything all the time in the encounters if that makes sense um so there are scenes where i love him and then there are scenes where i'm like i'm a bit sick of him now (laughs) and like sometimes i just wished he wasn't in a scene you know what i mean because like like playtime possibly even yeah, more than playtime but this this is such a like world building but also like a world that is incredibly familiar to us whereas like playtime is kind of more surreal even if you've been in like paris or you know various like industrialized cities or whatever um or modernized cities the thing about this is that even if you've never been to a charming little seaside town in you know northwest france or wherever it's supposed to be oh actually the name of the place which i thought that's it's based on is um uh, St. Mark Sumer, which is just, <laughs> just lovely. Um, yeah, like this, this is such a familiar world that he's sort of showing us, but also it's so rich because the side characters are so rich as they are in playtime. So sometimes I kind of just wanted to hang out in the world a little bit more. I didn't want to kind of watch him driving around in his car because I really felt the repetition of the jokes sometimes. And like, there's some repetition in this that I really like, you know, with like the use of sound and, you know, the music, how she's like constantly putting on the same record and stuff and how, you know, but uh, I think when it came back to him, I was like, mm. he just sort of became a little bit more like Mr. Bean. And I know that like Mr. Bean is very much based on this character, like the, uh, what do you call him? Rowan Atkinson has said that like this is he's directly takes from this character in like multiple movies. Um, and yeah, and I never re- don't think I ever thought that when I was watching Playtime. And like it's not that that's so bad, but it just I find it really distracting. Um, I'm just, like I'm so curious. So apparently, Tati did multiple uh, re-edits of this. So there's not two. There's like three, possibly four, but there are only two that actually got a release. So. There's like the French version, which is the original one that we watched, which is like an hour and 40 minutes. And then there's a 90 minute version, which is one that he re-edited in 1978. And I think they're actually both on Criterion, because I was looking yesterday. Um, I'm very curious because I couldn't get much detail on what he cut out or anything, but that um, that he just tightened it. 
and I'm very curious why he, what he tightened. I kind of want to watch it now because I'm like, yeah, I, I would have preferred if <laughs> just, just, just 10, 10 more minutes out of that might have made a really big difference. Um, but like it's the weird thing because like I feel that the movie's length like usually a movie that is slow so uh so slow paced and uh, so lackadaisical about like plot and action and even character development would get boring but I think that it's one of those things like for example an epic movie like Lawrence of Arabia that part of the, that the movie needs to be long enough just to have the effect that it needs to have because whenever mm. you, you know if somebody has you know like reds for example the warren bates movie about the 1917 russian revolution that it has to not only it has to be like a grand scale but for you to think about like how much it changed uh, you have to be in that world for that amount of time mm. for you to realize you know, you to feel almost feel that you've changed from watching the movie as well. That when you're watching to the last the shot of uh, of uh, Lawrence of Arabia and uh, he's going back to England after being in in the war, and the person goes, "Oh, you're going back home," and you just see like this blank face on the character, and he was so happy go lucky in the beginning of the movie, and. You know, like you can have that in a TV show the same way that like Better Call Saul did an amazing job at oh. that, or uh, oh. or even like Breaking Bad as well. But it, it's also like a different experience to to do it in one sitting. You need to have that, and I think that the movie needs to be one hour and forty minutes. Like I do agree with you in the sense that it could be the if you didn't think that certain things worked that it could be replaced with other things but i think that it requires the hour and 40 minutes for you to think about yeah. like the being in the holiday mode that is almost like a prison yeah. kind of thing because if you're 90 minutes you're like in and out it feels like a small city break rather than a week-long holiday if you know what i mean there's <laughs> something about whenever you go over 90 minutes that the it that it changes, changes your... the setting in your in your brain about how you feel about a movie i think See, I wonder if if we just had taken out some of him and replaced it with just more little incidental moments. Like that moment you mentioned of the two, of the little boy getting the ice cream. And it's like, oh my God, he's trying to open the door and he has two ice creams and he's like, oh, and you're like, he's going to drop the ice cream. And then he goes and he just sits with his brother or like whoever, assuming his little brother, and they just sit and eat their ice cream. And I was like, <gasps> like just or even even like you know silly scenes like you know the little boy <laughs> the little boy with the magnifying glass <laughs> he's like you know setting fire to just like random tents and then you know like trying to burn a random man on the stomach <laughs> you know like just just like more little things like that or there's there's like um when the couple are on the the beach uh and as she's like trying to um, assuming they're like mollusks or something or, or something that they're, they're picking up and he keeps throwing them away and it's like this you know it kind of made me think of something like truffle hunters whenever they're just like you know sorting through mushrooms or sorting through the tomatoes or whatever you know like these just like little perfectly staged little moments in this little town are like just like whenever the bell rings and like you know everyone kind of moving at the one time or you know her just sitting on her balcony and you know, even I would have even loved more of um, because one thing I really love in this film is uh, the fact that she's being like gopped at a lot by men. They're not necessarily maybe going near her, but you know, she's, she's turning a lot of heads. And then she's got this like <laughs> super dull left wing guy just like constantly intellectualizing and chewing her ear off. And she's like, mm hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. it's like oh I got stuck beside you again and the comparison between that and how she is in the dancing scene with Hulo is like you know because she feels so comfortable around him because like not even because he's like pleasant or whatever but because there's no bullshit there's no facade with him at all and like everyone's sort of like bussing around in their little facades and you know there's nothing like that with him 
Um, this is why that dancing scene is so great. And, like the music's lovely and there's so much of like a summer evening sort of flowingness of it as well of people kind of staring at them and being like also oh my god his fucking his outfit his crab cardigan so he's like dressed as a pirate uh, <laughs> in the most like 1950s french way where he's wearing like you know striped pantaloons or something and like a sort of a like the kind of jacket you would wear to a yacht club i think but it has like a very fearsome crab on the back of it <laughs> like so perfect um and they're just dancing and it's like oh you know um yeah i would just want more of that and less of you know i'm trying to think what a scene that really irks me because there are scenes that are like so perfect like him painting in the boat and the fact that it's multiple angles of him doing that with the tide coming in and moving the paint and like honestly there's a level of perfection to that. And then him getting closed in the boat as well. Because the boat like... And then someone's like watching him being like, who knows? It's like... It's so stupid. Or also whenever um, his like... The fucking hood pops up um, over him when he's driving. So um, I can't remember where they're going. But he ends up like going, taking the wrong turn and ending up in um, a funeral <laughs> in a graveyard. And he's just like... Oh, yeah, like whenever he's chasing the, the bus because your man uh, missed the bus to uh, like a tour or something. Yeah. Like he's like, yeah. get in, we'll we'll get, catch it. And then, oh, yeah, the spare tire <laughs> is used as a, a wreath. <laughs> he like falls in the ground and it's clearly just like damp or something. He just turns it around and it's perfectly covered in leaves. So then the guy who's bringing in the wreaths just takes it. But then like, you know, a, a, like part of a scene later, um it's you know you can hear it slowly deflating and everyone's like what's going on yeah like in the, the end as well that they start like shaking hands with him and everybody laughing it's such a charming moment as well but also it's so dark that everybody's just there complaining about your one in life <laughs> it's like oh yeah so, i mean like <sighs> What when the scene actually you know the <laughs> I kind of hated his car. Uh, the scene as well, whatever. I really like the restaurant setting because it really reminded me of um, uh, westerns for some reason. I, I don't know if it's the the way the inn is with the kind of stairs and people in these little chairs and the way the lighting is. Like you know, it kind of reminded me of something like. Um, Oh, actually, the one with the giant stakes. The man who shot Liberty Valance? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it has that very similar vibe of, like, they're trying to create, like, you know, restaurant-quality meals out of these, like, tiny shit little kitchens. <laughs> Not having to, like, you know, cut things with a very blunt knife as they are in this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's like, sharpen your knife. Oh, my God. Um, so I really love that setting. But that the, when he's first introduced and he's coming in with the wind, that just went on for so long. And I was like... Okay, 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 okay. I do yeah. love the 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 waiter, the, not the proprietor, the employee waiter. Yeah. You know, like in that scene, just looking over people's shoulders, reading what they're <laughs> reading, and so just completely bored. He has this. He's the Frenchest man I've ever seen. I think. <laughs> you know, when like Hulot oh. doesn't show up for dinner, and he's just sitting there on the on on the table that Hulot should be sitting on. And then he moves to the table in front of him and sits there, like, just looking down, kind of. Like, you suspect he... that he's probably, like, the younger brother of the of the proprietor or something. <laughs> Not living his best life. Um, it's every, oh, another summer. Oh, here they come. Um, is he the guy that's, like, trying to find him whenever he blows, like, leaving footprints everywhere inside and he's, like, in the coat rack? Is that the same guy? No, that'd be the proprietor. The oh, okay, yeah, I can remember. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so all this to say, oh, actually, <laughs> the other thing I'm like, um, I can't remember if it's at the start or sort of near the start when he's driving and uh, the car is like barely holding on 
like on a flat road and then he's like trying to go up hell and for some reason it made me think of you you were talking about uh driving in um uh crete crete you were in yeah it was crete, like, yeah, trying, the... to, trying to go up the hill in like the yaris <laughs> like... if we had the air conditioning on they wouldn't go <laughs> <laughs> literally like, yeah, there, there were like some bends that be like a complete u-turn bend going up the hill so it's like zigzagging the road and Ooh. if if i slowed down below like 20 kilometers an hour like uh it that, that was gone like it, w- it wouldn't be able to g- get going so i had to like just commit to the bet to the turn and like doesn't matter what but like at least in all the bends in Crete, at least uh, there would be like mirrors, so you can see what's coming from the other side. Yeah. So yeah. if you see like the that sort of, there's yeah. nobody coming, you can take like a, a like a, a different line, let's say. So you're yeah, you go into the other side of the road to create like a like the the carting line, if if you will, if it was in Formula One or something. <laughs> But yeah, like uh, yeah, that that reminded me of that as well. Like I don't think, <laughs> like I don't have a problem renting like cheapo cars. But I think if I go to a place that is as hilly as that, I will be getting something with a little bit more power. Yeah, just for yeah, any hills whatsoever. Like if you're only going to be like you know city driving and going for one or two little trips, maybe. But yeah, if you're going around, if you're going around islands and whatnot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't entirely hate the car. I just, yeah. So, like, I mean, oh, I know, I know, I'm being, I am being negative to a certain extent, but at the same time, you can't hate this movie. Like, you know, even if you don't appreciate it from a from a filmmaking perspective, because it is really impressive. Like, obviously, when compared to Playtime, but anything compared to Playtime, but so much of the same. You know, you can see his development from now to then. Like, there's so many consistencies between the two movies. Um, but even if you don't appreciate it for that, you you can't not appreciate the charm and, like, humanism to it as well. Because, like, there's not a negative element to this film. And I saw a lot of people criticizing it for, like, not being laugh-out-loud funny. And it's like... It's not trying oh, wow. to be. It's uh, trying to be. It's like really not trying to be. Small movie. It's not... That's its intention. Its intention is that every joke, the like, it's meant to make you giggle and smile and chuckle, and it's not meant to be. <sighs> but it's just like combination of like how trying to have that feeling for the hour and forty minutes from the beginning to end. That is just. And I I I like the way that he views the world. It's uh, it's very. I wish that the world was like that. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> sometimes like you see as well like, as you were saying with something like Mr. Bean. But I think that this movie in particular shows also like, how big of an influence Tati is in a lot of modern filmmakers. Uh, more than anyone Wes I'd say Anderson. Wes Anderson yeah like yeah. oh my god that fucking train opening scene I was like come on people are like running and throwing things onto the train I was like I mean I'm not you know I kind of like that movie even though it's not good uh the Chain Limited I kind of find it sort of charming uh and like there's nothing wrong with people like taking inspiration and stuff but like that was, it was so funny I was like gosh um, and the precision of it as well because that's the thing like people describe Wes Anderson as like you know whimsical and like you know you need to have very like art or something but you forget the level of effort it takes to make movies like that that are so precise um, particularly even like his most recent one uh, which I kind of didn't really like but also kind of appreciated at the same time and it's a lot like this in that he shoots the whole thing in one little town um like i think they only built like one or two sets for this movie um and as far as i know i don't know if they built any sets for fucking um the french dispatch or if they did it was all within this one tiny little town as well um and like i appreciate shit like that but i i feel like i like this a lot more than something like the french dispatch because with the french dispatch i'm kind of more interested in watching the documentary about how they made it than watching the movie yeah you know what i mean which is like uh 
that's the problem. I think the problem with the French Dispatch more than anything as well is that it's one of those uh, anthology movies where uh, one of the parts is vastly superior to the other ones. Uh, like the the part with uh, Jeffrey Wright is so much better than the other two parts. I felt the. Uh, yeah. It's similar to uh, whenever we were talking about the uh, movie Three Women or Women. Certain Women. S- certain Women. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was actually thinking about that recently because um, The Guardian did a, a like rundown of um, uh, Kirsten Stewart's best performances. And they had certain women quite high, t- high up the list. But it was like, you know, the best in the three stories in this movie. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I concede. Um uh, yeah, so I don't I don't like completely shitting on Wes Anderson because some of his movies I really love and also I still appreciate the amount of effort that he puts into things because so much of it is like done in camera and like, you know, making things in the way that Tati made Playtime where it's just so much money, <laughs> you know, to like do it all in one place and do it all in one camera and, you know, insist on changing, you know, like all these different things. Um you know, just on filming it in 70 millimeter and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I, I appreciate it whenever there's a point to it. You know what I mean? That it's not just like for the sake of like Oscar baiting bullshit. Um, <laughs> some people I could mention. Um, I watched the Batman actually. Um, Colin Farrell is so good in that movie. It's really good. Like, it's like silly, but the film kind of leans into that. Like, it's quite funny at times in a way that, like, the Nolan movies just aren't at all. Like, I laughed multiple times in this film, and it was like, I think the film wanted me to be laughing here. That's that's good. I just, I really, really liked it. It was just, like, the right amount of everything. I don't know. Yeah, it was a very enjoyable movie. It's one of those ones that yeah. it's, like... You know, I do think that there's a room for uh, movies to be... Uh, make fun of themselves and being self-aware but also do enjoy a a superhero movie that just takes itself seriously as well but is not just dark for the sake of being dark like uh, Batman v Superman and stuff like that is like oh we just need to be gritty but at the Mm. same time is it's when you get somebody that is like actually intelligent rather than somebody like fucking what's his face Uh, Zack Snyder that, like he's a good technician but he's just uh <laughs> i'd say that Zack snyder is like michael bay but he thinks he's smarter than he actually is like he's you see interviews with him like he's not exactly stupid but mm. he's also somebody that like you know thought that he could do an adaptation of watchmen and completely missed the point of Watchmen. Watchmen. <laughs> and uh, there's the, like a very... Um, I'm not very surprised at all that he wants to do uh, an adaptation of The Fountainhead, like the Amran book, because... <laughs> why not? Uh, <laughs> it's funny you say that about Michael Bay, though. I feel like Michael Bay is not pretending to be anything except Michael Bay. Yeah, which yeah. Which kind of makes him... Which kind of makes him more charming in a way. You know what I mean? Like he's not... I love as well that Fincher and Michael Bay worked in the same uh, advertising agency in the 80s. And uh, just the idea like the Fincher (laughs) is there like trying to do like the most intelligent work ever. And Michael Bay is like, but there's a go... Explosion there in the background. Oh my God. I really hope out there somewhere there's like a staff picture of them at like the same event, just like <laughs> little babies. <laughs> I, do, oh, I do think that I, I can't remember where um, somebody was talking about like how um, it, most comedians are left wing because comedy is easier to be done whenever you're left wing because you're punching up rather than punching down. If you're a right wing comedian, it's very difficult <laughs> to you know carry an audience well, with you or actually make funny jokes they don't find it difficult <laughs> <laughs> they're not funny but they don't <laughs> they don't find it difficult yeah like i'm saying that like actually finding quality material but uh the guy also says yeah i uh i don't want to watch uh, a right-wing comedian but at the same time i don't want to see a left-wing action movie 
because action <laughs> movies have to be right wing for them to work. Like uh, they have to be extremely right wing, like fucking Top Gun and ambulance and stuff. Like you can't have a, you know, suddenly like the movie stops to discuss. I don't know, like, uh, but yeah, like when it comes to uh, Monsieur Hulot's holiday, I think the. Yeah, like, I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't like it, but not, well, like, you, you didn't say, didn't hate it, but that you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. And in this case, I don't even think that it is one of those ones that I'm just uh, disappointed because, you know, there are thir- certain things that you like and you defend them because you feel that they're, like, personal to you, that for some reason somebody doesn't like it, it's like a personal affront to you. And... <laughs> But at the same time with this movie, I'm more disappointed that you didn't love it mainly because you didn't get the same feeling that I did when you watched that movie. And it's something that it's a pity that you didn't because it is a very good feeling. Well, that I see what I said at the at the start about the, um, you know, of films maybe needing to be in the right space of mind. And like, it's not as if I was in a bad mood yesterday, but like I wasn't in a great mood. You know what I mean? And I was like a little tired and kind of hating on summer a little bit. And I, I, I don't know. It might have been a whole combination of things. I was maybe a little bit too in my head or something. Because when I think about how I was whenever I was watching The Killing and like, you know, just pure fucking joy, <laughs> you know? And like, maybe if I'd just been like, maybe if I'd gone out that day and like, I don't know, gone to a little market or something and come home and, you know, I, I don't know what it was. So I feel like, Maybe I wouldn't have loved the film, but I may have come a little bit closer to it, probably. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it's very interesting, as you say, to um, to watch two films with the same character in them, which I'm assuming we've never done because I don't know how that would be possible. But um, yeah, because we haven't done any sequels kind of thing. Yeah, like I do think that also like uh, just briefly where we're talking about the politics of the movie that it is very much a movie that is saying how especially French people at that time would quote-unquote be apolitical that there's so much playing Mm -hmm. in the background and nobody's paying attention the only two people paying attention is the guy that is just selling stocks (laughs) and the (laughs) communist (laughs) student that looks like fucking Trotsky and you're like (laughs) yeah both of them are equally wrong in the way that they perceive the world in a way um but at the same time, it's kind of like they're the only ones that are, uh, are also engaging with the actual real world. And it's kind mm. of funny in a way because it's also, even though you never see anybody outside of the holiday, you can imagine that pe- those people are not paying attention to the news either whenever they're at home in their daily lives you know in paris or whatever jobs they are and i think that i really appreciate it in this movie as well the fact that it is kind of socialist in the way that nobody is the only person that you know anything about their past or their jobs is the guy that sells stocks and the colonel from the army everybody else (laughs) it's kind of like it could be anybody you just hear in the end they're like oh this person is from paris this person is from another area and i wonder uh if you're watching it as a french person if uh the accents are clear from where they are because you know mm. if there was like a, a irish remake of this movie i wonder like you know you'd be like, oh that person has a you know the sales guy the would have definitely like a dublin four accent and then hulo will probably have a kilkenny accent or something i don't know those nuances are so important because like even when you watch something like conversations with friends where I think they nail the accents kind of like your man, what's his name? He goes out with Taylor Swift. He's not perfect, but he's quite good at getting the kind of like South Dublin kind of accent. And then when you compare it to something like um, I watched the first episodes of uh, Bad Sisters. It's like a new uh, Apple series set in Ireland. It's based on like a Danish thing or something, but it's really good. But the accents are all over the place. And it's just like, oh. At the same time, just, half just of the... Just get five actors from the same county. Well, like, at the same time, like, so many Irish mm. movies have terrible Irish accents as well. Like, because for some reason, you know, <laughs> intermission that they just, like, ham up the accent. is like, I never met anybody that speaks like that. <laughs> no. 
It's like Colin Farrell has developed his own accent. It just exists in his mind. Well, like, uh, you know, the, he started... You know what uh, Colin Farrell's first appearance on the TV was? Balakas Angel? No, he was uh, in uh, an RT News uh, article about how there was like a Western club in Dublin. And he was one of the professional <laughs> line dancers. Oh my god. Why don't we have places like that anymore? God. More niche clubs. I was gonna say. Uh, I just, sorry, I did a double take there because I have the Wikipedia page for this uh, movie open in front of me and uh, at the bottom of the cast it says <laughs> Christopher Lee provided all the voices for the English dub of the film. All the voices. <laughs> all the voices. <laughs> like men, women, children. Um, does he do the sound effects? Like, I <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm assuming that's. I'm assuming they have the dub version of of the of the 1970. It must have been the 1978 version that he would have dubbed. So that's on the Criterion Collection. So, oh my god! <laughs> I know what I'm doing later. Watching the this movie with the Christopher Lee dub. <laughs> So what was your, uh, or well, any final thoughts before we progress to our final and favorite things? That this is a good movie and it's very enjoyable. It is a good movie and it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> I think you just did them in the wrong order. <laughs> yeah, like, but at the same time, it's uh, like when you watch this first and you're like, I know a, a few people that didn't like playtime because they were accustomed to this mode of tati and they found mm. the the playtime mode a little bit overwhelming to a certain degree uh more that also yeah. that like disappointed to the fact that like hulo is not the protagonist really be that it is is not a, as funny or as charming is uh, like it is charming and funny but it's uh its concerns are different, you know. It's a lot more mm. concerned with its uh, political statements and its uh, uh, sociological statements rather than just making nope. you mm. laugh. Like this movie's entire exist reason to exist is to make you feel good about yourself, and I do appreciate that as a movie as well. Because even there's uh, dinner with my uncle. There's something like that. Another Tati movie that oh. is with. Uh, yeah. that is uh, absolutely brilliant as well but that was the movie that he did before playtime and i think that even that movie if you like that movie and then you move to watch playtime is it's still a bit of a shock to the system because it's not what you expect <laughs> and i think that also watching playtime cold not having seen any tati movies is kind of interesting as well because you don't know what you're walking into uh but yeah, I don't regret the Definitely. order that we did as well because I really wanted to watch yeah. Playtime again that, at that time. Your man that, that does the Royal Ocean Film Society on YouTube to tease his favorite director. He has a very good video about Playtime, but also he made a video about summer movies last year. That, like about oh, movies yeah. that he likes to watch in the summer. A lot of like surfing movies that are terrible, but he just enjoys because it's like summery movies. But like you mentioned, there's a, a good bit of the that video is about this movie. And I think he captures like what he says about this movie is very accurate. So I do recommend people to, if they're interested to to watch that video also, because it's just a good YouTube channel. Um, yeah, you, you do mention it in the Playtime episode and I'd never heard of it before. So I was like, what? Say it again. And you're like the Royal Ocean Film Society. And I'm like, wow, that's a great name. I was like, oh, little baby Orla. <laughs> so much to learn but yeah this is a but uh, my favorite thing in the movie i think is to see like both like as a director and as a performer i think that importantly as well that we mentioned that he's um, a he creates his own new character because you have people like you know bill murray who clearly inspired his whole persona on buster keaton and Mm -hmm. uh other silent actors that are just pretty much a copy of either Keaton, one of the Marx Brothers, or fucking Chaplin. But the mm-hmm. the T does use the same tools that those filmmakers used, 
just adding sound and then uh, being able to create his own feel for the movies. It's kind of like Alex said something very valid that is like you could hardly call his movies talkies. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because you can't call them silent films either, though, because sound is so important. So they're like this weird little in-between thing. It's fascinating. I think he takes the similar similar approach to uh, to Keaton when it comes to like the bit because Keaton does a lot of um, that as long as it works in the logic of the movie, it doesn't matter. And I think if it's realistic or not. And I think the the tea takes the same approach, but it, it's very pleasant. I really enjoy being in Tati's company kind of thing I, I would have enjoyed having mm-hmm. a conversation with him I feel like he's uh, one of these like yeah. very interesting people that you know somebody that is so concerned about politics and the world uh, in general and society and life and everything in between and he decides to approach it the way that he does is so unique mm. like you can see in the way that not only this uh that this is uh influential for film directors and other filmmakers but i think that is more than anything really influential for stand-up comedy even though this is before stand-up comedy boom and stuff because it is the definition of observational comedy that it is p- mm. just pointing out um little annoyances of the world like most uh observational no comedy is terrible because it is just you know the fucking michael mcintyre just goes in and it's like isn't but aren't bosses annoying ha 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 and there's nothing to say beyond oh remember that thing that everybody experiences yeah it's funny well this the mm. individual jokes are like that but because they're pegged into like a, a an overarching uh structure that actually says things about society rather than just pointing out little annoyances because if it was just it's a movie that really is focusing on the little annoyances of life but enjoying them i think that like that though that those are like even all the callbacks to the war it, it, it's kind of like isn't it great that it like you're just annoyed about the guy telling you about the war rather than having to worry about one. Instead yeah. of the actual war. <laughs> yeah. What was yeah. your favorite thing? It's kind of like the least, um, it's kind of like the least cynical movie possible in that sense. You know what I mean? That it's not like a fanciful film either, you know, where you can just kind of, you know, where you're kind of living in this sort of, you know, a world that you know bears no resemblance to our own and isn't really making any kind of you know point or critique on it um, which i really appreciated um i think it's probably to tea as well as my favorite thing because like it's just incredibly well directed incredibly well like just like the, the way it's shot the it's the way everything's put together uh, like considering that this is 1953 and then going on and making playtime in 1967 which is like not that long later <laughs> you know and in, in the career realistically you know like having both these movies and then obviously the other ones he did in your your oeuvre um he seems like the kind of person that could can only make movies this way if that makes sense that like this is the only way he felt that he could express himself and that definitely comes across in this film but also in playtime because like he literally bankrupted himself to make that movie so it's like you don't do that unless you literally can't do it in another way and you will probably die if you can't do it you know that kind of way or at least die internally and creatively um yeah which again is why you can never hate this film because you can't hate that kind of like passion you know you can be annoyed by it yeah, he's truly it. somebody that loves making movies like he you can mm-hmm. tell so, there's some directors that you know they they just love their job and thinking about things and how to make them and stuff no there are other directors that you think that you know like kubrick that you feel like they fucking hate being a filmmaker you know the same way that 
we get up in the morning and go like if you're going to work and you're not doing your dream job is like yeah even if you really like the company you're working for and the people there are certain times that you just wake up in the morning and it's like oh fuck what am i doing in my life but you know sometimes you think yeah. some like the way that some writers or directors describe how they live and how much they hate doing their work is like Jesus, mate, like nobody's forcing you. Buddy. Uh, what's your least favorite thing? I do think that like there are a few, jo- like any comedy like this that throws like the kitchen sink uh, at the the wall, like joke wise. Do you think that there are a couple jokes that don't land, but because they're not going for, I think the jokes that don't land whenever they're going for a choco are way more less awkward than jokes that don't land when they're trying to make you laugh hysterically. Because it's uh, yeah. there's no, they it's also that there's by. no pause in the edit for laughter. So when you're just left with the silence, <laughs> whenever you don't laugh at a joke, you know what I mean. That it's like, um, yeah. you know, there's this um, trend on Twitter that people just post uh, like scenes from Friends or other TV shows, uh, comedies from the '90s, and they delete the laugh track and go, "Isn't it so creepy that if you?" What he says is so creepy if you don't have the laugh track. And it's like, yeah, because you can do any scene, even a good scene, and it would be creepy as fuck because the pacing makes no sense if you don't hear the laugh. Because they're literally just sitting there mm-hmm. looking at each other, waiting for the laugh track to end to then say the next thing. There's like beats written into the script for that exact reason. <laughs> oh, but overall, I think that there's very little to criticize in this movie. I think that there are a certain... Uh, I think that there are parts of the movie that, you know, it's a, it is a movie as its time, but it also is a very low-budget movie for its time as well. So you can see for, unfortunately, for... Uh, you can't uh, restore things that were badly managed to begin with and the film stock even though the cinematography yeah. is good you can tell that it's like cheaper film stock that they that they had in the, a couple of the night scenes even you can tell that the uh, chemical whoever processed the film like fucked up on the washing up so there you can see like chemical lines down the the film strip and it kind of yeah. dances uh uh, kind of distractingly it's a little tatty, oh, around, tatty the edges. around the edges <laughs> what was your least favorite thing um i did tatty? i think i <laughs> i think i read somewhere at one of the reviews of the criterion dvd which i think has both versions i think possibly that the 1953 version is not hd on criterion channel whereas i think the 1978 one is so i think maybe there might be some improvement um but i would need to double check that but uh yeah it, it is a little <laughs> right the edges but uh that didn't bother me though to be honest um uh i did have to watch it in my little monitor though i can't wait until i have a television <laughs> um what was my least favorite thing I I don't want to say Hulo because he uh, oftentimes he's my favorite thing. So it's like, I think it's that I didn't quite grasp the feeling that I was expecting going into this. It felt very disappointing when I didn't quite get there. You know, it was a little like, oh, oh, you know. But like, he's it's sort of redeemed by him running around with the fireworks at the end. <laughs> that is very hilarious. <laughs> it's just this extended scene of him running around. And then actually the very, very last uh, shot whenever they're on the train and she's like laughing at her pictures. I do love that as well. That's like a very nice little button, as you would say. Um, Baton. Baton, no, bottom. Um, Yeah, so that was uh, Mr. Hulot's holiday. I would, um, probably by the time this comes out, it'll be September, but that's still kind of summer depending on where you live. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> well, especially with global it warming it'll be summer everywhere yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. except except for those months of the year whenever it's going to be like the day after tomorrow and we're going to start burning the world's books to keep warm um <laughs> uh so ricardo if they want to go back and uh hear us about three years younger 
talking about uh, playtime, where can they find us? You can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter, at The Rack Game, The Recommendation Game, and gmail.com is our email. Our back episodes are in the Dublin Digital Radio Mix Cloud, also in our SoundCloud, or your podcaster of choice. Awesome. Next week's film is chosen by Orla. What is next week's film? Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets, which came out in 2020. It's a documentary. We're going to get into the ethics. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, yeah, so until then, I was Orla Muthinas. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Adieu, adieu, adieu. Pew, 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 pew.